a little help here, a little help. In fact, I need your help as I start the sermon as we talk about apathy. Uh, if you could just turn to someone around you and just ask them, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> Won't you pray with me? God, we're so grateful for the many ways that you move within our lives. I think today I'm reminded of not just how you move in places where we can view, but I know each and every Sunday that you have people here that may not fill out a connection card or make themselves available online, but yet you know that they're here. And so I pray that you speak and move in places that we're not always able to see, not always able to hear, but knowing that in the midst of it all that you are working. So we pray that as your word goes out, it shall not come back void. But this is our hope and this is our prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have not figured out by now, I am a diehard Detroit Lions fan. That's my sermon. That's the benediction. We can we, <laughs> go home. Now, I must confess, I must confess, it's been a long time since we've had something to be excited about. We might be one of the only teams that's, that is left that has not been to a single Super Bowl. We have not made it to the NFC Championship game in 32 years, and in 2008, we broke another record, and we went 0-16. and 16. In fact, Somebody clap. I heard that. I heard <laughs> In fact, in fact, in fact, oh, I, oh okay, okay, okay. Uh, um. so, so it's been a long time. In fact, year after year, we have coined the term same old lions. Because the phrase describes the, the, the disappointment of watching our team for so long get really close to winning and somehow finding a way to lose. Same old lions. Over the years, some have even become apathetic or indifferent when the results never seem to change. But as I stated at the start of my sermon, I am a diehard Detroit Lions fan. This means that regardless of how they are playing, how they are doing, and what their record is, they are still my team. It doesn't matter where I live or what my address is, I always find a way to show my support. Even in the game today that will be played in Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California, my body will be in Indiana, but my heart, church, I'm trying to tell you, my heart will be in California with the Detroit Lions. I wonder if that's how Nehemiah felt when he heard about the conditions of the people back in Jerusalem. His body was in the Persian city of Susa, but his heart, his, his heart, his soul was in Jerusalem. 
For decades, the people of God have been scattered as exiles, scattered throughout this new foreign empire. However, a small remnant of people were given permission to return back to Jerusalem, and as one would expect, their return to find their once holy city was in devastation. Remember, they had been defeated by neighboring kingdoms, and now everything was in ruins. So word gets back to Nehemiah, who's in this Persian city, who has been working as a cupbearer to this foreign king about the conditions of his people and the conditions of Jerusalem. And up until this point, he was probably apathetic or unbothered because he wasn't aware about the conditions in Jerusalem until he became aware. Until he became aware, and when he became aware, it changed him. When he became aware, he could not unsee what they had told him about the city. In fact, becoming aware is a blessing and a curse because it's easy to create a mirage of peace and tranquility until we become aware. It's easy to paint a perfect picture on a perfect canvas until we become aware about the real realities and the problems that people are facing around us. Most people are indifferent, not by choice, but simply because they have not been exposed to a reality outside of their own. And yet God graciously intervenes in our lives, not always by giving us the answers we want to hear, but sometimes by simply making us aware. In fact, one of the greatest gifts that God can give us in our own apathy is, ex is exposure to the lived realities that people are facing around us. Jerusalem is around eight to 900 miles away from this Persian city. It's a three-month journey away, and he cannot shake what he's heard. It brings him to tears. He can't fall asleep. And even though his work, his address, his life is in this foreign city of Susa, his heart is in this city that's 900 miles away. And I think Nehemiah gives us a reminder that change often starts with a concern. In fact, concern can be a powerful motivator when it's used appropriately. I mean, one could suggest that, that his concern was his compass. It's what God used to steer him in a particular direction. It's what God used to direct his focus. He could have chosen to ignore it and go right back to tasting food for the king, but he embraces what is troubling him. In many ways, I think Nehemiah gives us permission and an invitation to do the same. Because how we live out our faith often starts with a concern. It starts, it starts with something that's keeping us up at night. It starts with an issue that we just can't shake, that we can't get out of our minds. And I've always felt that God places something inside of each of us. God places a passion, an interest, a particular wiring that draws our attention to some concern. It might be a concern for recent immigrants, a concern for seniors, a concern for young families, or concern for those with special needs, a concern for the poor, a concern for children 
children or even a concern for the environment. In fact, did you know that there are entire organizations, entire organizations that people that raise funds and money for organizations that tries to raise money for things like tigers and rhinos and whales? Doesn't make sense to me, but somebody seems to think that it's a concern. Did you know that there are some people that rally, that rally around things like the conservation of bees and beetles and butterflies? I could absolutely care less. I confess to you, I am apathetic about the bees and the beetles and the butterflies. But the reality is that there is never a shortage of concern because God wires us individually and uniquely. So therefore, just because it's not a concern for me doesn't mean that God has not uniquely wired somebody to care about the bees and the beetles and the butterflies because sometimes your concern is your compass to where God is leading and calling you. So don't ignore your concern because they often serve as your compass to where God is inviting you to use your gifts and to meet a need. Don't ignore the things that break your heart. It's the thing that God uses us to steer us in a, in a particular direction because we have a choice whether to embrace it or ignore the concern. And we see Nehemiah's reaction juxtaposed with the response of the remnant living in Jerusalem. His concern is not their concern. Nehemiah is somewhere crying and brokenhearted, and we get, no, we get no indication that they have a similar emotional response. We get no indication that they are interested in rebuilding. We get no indication that they are bothered enough to change their own situation. In fact, by the time Nehemiah is moved to return, they have been living there for months now, and it seems that they have no concern that they're just going through the motions. So maybe a critical question that we have to periodically ask ourselves is where do we feel in our own lives that we're just going through the motions? Because I think their condition is one of the most difficult seasons, especially with people of faith. Because it's when for whatever reason we find ourselves struggling with apathy struggling with the lack of concern, going through the motions, and we struggle with seasons of indifference. Maybe they were overwhelmed by the amount of work that needed to be done. Maybe they just got used to things, used to the devastation and destruction. Maybe they thought it was somebody else's concern and somebody else's responsibility, but their community was not going to rebuild itself because one of the greatest obstacles of faith is not having zero faith, but it's dealing with faith that has become indifferent, faith that's running on empty, faith that has lost interest, faith that is no longer concerned. I mean, we don't have honest conversations about how to help people when they are in seasons of apathy. I mean, it's like when you start a fire, every fire starts off strong and the flames are blazing. But if you want the fire to last, you don't just walk away from it and hope that somehow the, the, somehow the flames will replenish themselves. But what do you do? You stoke it. You add more wood. 
And the truth is, people sometimes don't know how to add more wood when things in their life are starting to dwindle. They don't know how to stoke their relationship. They don't know how to stoke their calling. They don't know how to stoke their passion. They don't know how to stoke their concern. They don't know how to keep stoking the things that they once thought that God was inspiring them to do. And if we're honest about it, people sometimes are really passionate when they start off in faith, but somehow along the way they become apathetic, sometimes apathetic to some of the most important things in their lives because nobody ever told them the importance or taught them of how to stoke even those things that were major concerns at one point in their lives. Their bodies are present, their bodies are present, but sooner or later, their hearts, their hearts, their minds, their souls, their spirits is somewhere else. But sometimes when we're dealing with apathy, the, the behavior has to proceed the inspiration. In fact, Dr. Renita Weems, biblical scholar and theologian, wrote a book years ago called Listening for God, A Minister's Journey Through Silence and Doubt. And she goes through her own journey, struggling through times when as a minister, as a mother, as a spouse, she felt empty. And I want you to listen to her words and see if they even ring true in your own life. She says, I learned to let go of my naive belief that breaking out into goosebumps at the talk of the sacred was a signal of intimacy with God. I learned to trust the winter months of faith when it's difficult to remember why one ever bothered to believe. I stopped being so hard on myself and, and demanding that as a wife, as a scholar, as a writer, I should always feel excited about what I'm doing or that I should as a mother and, and a minister always sparkle with alertness and insight. This was hard to accept in a culture where at the first sign of dullness or tedium or monotony, it's all right to give up, walk away, or try something new in hopes of finding new meaning, new thrills, and new satisfaction. She says, I stopped complaining about going through the motions. I decided that it was all right to pray, whether in new or old ways, and not feel anything. The point was just to pray. Whatever way I could bear it at that moment, rituals are routines that force us to live faithfully even when, we are, even when we no longer feel like being faithful. Until our heart has time to arouse itself and find its way back to those we love. Rituals help us show up for duty. Here's all I'm trying to say. Along our own faith journey, for whatever reason, you may get to a place where you feel like your heart is not in it. You may feel like your passion or your concern starts to wane, but that's sometimes part of your journey. You're not always going to feel like doing things that you believe that even God has called you to do. You may not always feel like dealing with the emotional roller coaster of relationships or parenting. You may not always feel like forgiving people. You may not always feel like doing the thing that you once loved because let's face it, it's always easier to walk past the ruins and devastation and just pretend like it doesn't exist. But that is the power of ritual. That is the 
power of routine, and that is the power of duty. It invites us to show up even when we sometimes don't feel like it so that when the passion comes, when the passion returns, when God's Spirit rests on us, we are reminded why we were concerned in the beginning. Apathy might be a part of your journey, but it doesn't have to be the dominant narrative about how we approach the most important things in our lives. But is that not the hope of a gospel that revives and breathes life into dead things? So watch what, watch what Nehemiah does when he goes back to Jerusalem. He goes back for three days to see it for himself. And it's nothing that they haven't seen before. He goes back to Jerusalem. He surveys the land. He sees it with fresh eyes. Listen to what he says. He says, you see the trouble we are in. Somebody say we. Man, he's showing us how to be the leader. He says, you see the trouble we are in. Remember, he's living a, a, a cushy life back in the Persian city, eating the finest the finest foods and drinking the finest wines. But he says, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins with his, with his gates burned. Come, let us, choir say us, us. He says, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that we, somebody say we, so that we will no longer suffer disgrace. He's teaching a class on change management before it's even a term. Meaning the word of in the world of organizational leadership, he's doing something called raising the heat. Because individuals and communities are never going to change or move from a place of apathy or indifference unless they become uncomfortable with the status quo. He's raising the stakes just enough so that people can hear it without tuning him out. He's creating an environment where people are being invited to actually look at their reality and come to terms with what's in front of them. He's raising the thermostat just enough so that change can happen, but he's got to be careful. He's got to be careful because if he turns the thermostat up too high, they'll just become more apathetic. But if he, but if he doesn't turn it up enough... Nothing ever changes because leadership is sometimes having a hand on the thermostat and knowing just how much people need to hear in order to be open to what God is trying to do. Because God didn't send Nehemiah there to make them comfortable. God didn't send Nehemiah there so that things could remain the same because this wasn't just about brick and mortar but restoring dignity and honor to a people that were in desperate need of hope. They were now able to see their situation through fresh eyes, and they respond. These people that were once apathetic, these people that were once indifferent, these people that once did not care at all, these people who were willing and perfectly fine with walking among the devastation and ruins, they respond with, let us rebuild. It's almost as though they were coming alive. What you're watching is the power of redemption. We're, watch, we're watching a theology of resurrection. I mean, our faith consistently reminds us of God's ability to make impossible situations come alive and how God brings life in the midst of graves. 
And sometimes in the graves of indifference, in the graves of a lack of concern, in the graves of apathy, that there is still life that can come out of that. It was more than just rebuilding a temple, but a resurrection of the human spirit, a reawakening of the soul. As exiles, they were allowed to return to live, but now Nehemiah's charge is inviting them to come alive. And sooner or later, everyone will be challenged with the question, what makes you come alive? Because this is where we find the fullness of faith. It's where we find the fullness of joy. It's where they found community. His passion became the catalyst to breathe life into this condemned situation, into this environment of apathy. He invited them to come alive again. In fact, let me go back to my original story. The last two playoff games, <laughs> all roads back leads to the Lions. The last two playoff games for the Lions, my son and I, we went to Buffalo Wild Wings and Carmel to watch the game. Now, we noticed something interesting happening the last time we were there. So when we first got there, the restaurant, it was kind of busy, but when something good happened to the Lions, I mean, there was maybe one or two other groups that clapped. I mean, we, we were definitely the minority in the group at Buffalo Wild Wings in Carmel, Indiana. <laughs> Needless to say, the crowd was apathetic. <laughs> they were indifferent. They didn't care who won. And I get it, when another city we're in Carmel, Indiana. Their hearts were not invested around who won between two teams, one from the city of Detroit and another one from Tampa. I mean, they didn't care. Their hearts, their hearts weren't in it, and I'm sure that most of the patrons in there did not care who won the game until. You see, by the second half of the game, there was another member that showed up to watch the game with us, so now we had more in numbers. And let me confess, um, we did not keep our excitement to ourselves. <laughs> I mean, we were, we were high-fiving, we were calling out plays, we were the coaches from the sidelines. In fact, when we got the lead, I became really obnoxious. <laughs> and every time that we made a good play, I had a famous chant, here we go, here we go, here we go. And families that were just trying to have a nice dinner and trying to have a nice outing, that was completely ruined for them because, again, they were apathetic and they were not emotionally invested. They were not emotionally invested uh, until, until it was though our passion had legs. It was as though our excitement brought attention to a room filled with apathy and all of a sudden with my cheers and chants they started high-fiving each other and they started being the coach on the sidelines and they started cheering with us and when I said here we go here we go they said here we go here we go why because all we did was give them a reason and 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 a purpose to be excited about something 
All we did was give them a reason to cheer. All we did was give them a reason to come alive in an apathetic environment. And that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah traveled 900 miles and three months to remind them that there was still something in their lives that was a reason for them to come alive again. And that's all that God is trying to do with us. God is trying to enter into those spaces where we feel like we are indifferent and there's little concern and there's indifference. God is trying to enter those spaces in our lives, in our communities, in our families to remind us that there is a reason for you to be excited again. That there's a reason for you to have joy. There's a reason for you to have fulfillment. Because in all of us, there's some area of our lives maybe not now, but maybe in the coming days, maybe in the future, it, it, it happens to everybody. There's going to come a certain point along this journey where you become indifferent about something that you once loved. But remember, you serve a resurrecting God that brings life and wants you to come alive even in the most difficult of situations. God just wants to remind somebody today that there's still a reason to come alive again. Won't you pray with me? Perhaps there are some relationships not just romantic but friendships family members co-workers neighbors maybe that relationship has become strained maybe you become indifferent about some of the important relationships that God has brought into your life. Maybe there's a loss of passion, a loss of concern about some of the difficult things happening in our very own community. Things we read about, things we hear about. And God, it's, it's, it's so easy to tune it out. It's so easy to claim plausible deniability that if we don't know it's not our responsibility, why should we care? It doesn't affect us. What happened to our passion? What happened to our concern? So God, maybe the first thing we're just asking you today is just make us aware Open up our eyes, open up our hearts, open up our minds. Before you call us to even fix something, invest in somewhere, to change something, just help us to become aware of the complex and diverse world around us.
because you place it in each of us a unique wiring. And maybe you've called us for such a time as this. Help us to come alive again. Your name we pray. Amen.